Amen. Now, have you ever, for those of you who have known me for a few years, have you ever known to me to say something controversial? Okay, okay, okay. Have you ever just wanted to say, this guy sometimes says these things that just drive me crazy? No, thank you very much. Um, but I think sometimes as pastors, maybe yes, maybe no, um, some will, will, will kind of step out, some won't, and that's okay. You know, it's just the nature of a, who a person might be, what their personality. I've always been one that tends to push the envelope a little bit because I am by nature a philosopher. I used to love philosophy in college or whatever, and I like to get people's thoughts, and sometimes I'd throw something out there just to get a reaction for someone. And that can be a good thing, that can be a bad thing. It just depends on, on how you throw that out and when you throw it out. In the last couple of weeks, I have, or whatever, I've shared some things here that maybe perhaps some of you have questioned. And uh, we talked a little bit about the gifts last, you know, last week. I wanted to kind of clear up some of my thoughts where I was going with that. And also, <clears throat> I had talked about a very controversial issue that is still with us today. And it's brought up is, can you lose your salvation? And I, I threw that out there. You know, I just kind of threw it out there and made a couple of comments. But then I thought to myself, well, maybe there needs to be some, some follow-up with, with, with that. And we can talk about that a little bit. So that's what I want to do today. Uh, so keep your hearts open to what I'm saying for some of you. Or you say, you know what, this is the same old, same old. But, you know... God's love for us is the same old, same old every day. That doesn't change. And so uh, my feeling again is when you leave this place, if you say, you know what, I didn't get anything out of what happened today, then in all love and respect, that's your fault. Because there should be something in every, that Bible that should, as a Christian, that should give you an insight or a thought uh, that will help you grow in your faith. Amen? Is that fair enough? You say, let's get to it. Rudy's giving me that look. Rudy, you're going to be smiling at the end of this message. I guarantee it. Okay. okay. Jesus talked about the unforgivable sin. What is that? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so that's where I want to start this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew uh, chapter 12. Uh, verses 31 and 32. Jesus' words. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Sometimes we stop right there. We say, see, see, that's what Jesus said. You can lose your salvation because he just said it. Sometimes, or most of the time, when we have scripture that might, we might have questions about, then we need to look at the context of that scripture. We should do that all, all the time. But especially 
when these controversial things are said, who was Jesus' audience here? Jesus', Jesus audience was not believers. His audience was the Pharisees, the lawgivers. And all of his miracles, all of his healings, all of his teachings manifested through the Spirit within him were neglected and rejected by the lawgivers of his day. Jesus was constantly in conflict with the unbeliever, the lawgiver, that totally rejected his thoughts. Now, if you look at verse 24, verse 24 speaks about this. Verse 24 speaks about what the Pharisees were saying, that all all of Jesus' works comes from who? From the devil. That's what they said. That's when Jesus responded. Because they were, again, they were looking at Jesus' teachings and all of his miracles, and they works of the devil. That's not from God, that's from the devil. That's when Jesus said his words. He was making a statement that if you don't turn, you're going to burn. Pretty much that's it. And there's only one way, and that's Jesus' way. And they're saying, no, no, wrong, wrong. And people are saying that today. There are different ways to get to heaven. No, according to the word of God and Jesus, no, there's only one way. And Christy knew that way. And she's there. She's with her Lord. This is serious stuff because we're all terminal. We are all going to die. And where are we going to be when we die? Jesus and the Bible He constantly talks about the kingdom of God. Miracles are one thing, and they're great, and all the the signs, but it comes down to one thing. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is Jesus Christ. It's not the miracle he did for you way back when. It's Jesus Christ. That's your ticket. That's my ticket. Alone, nothing else. If anything, that's what the Bible is all about. It's about our salvation because we are just passing through here. Amen. Okay, I'll settle down. Maybe. Okay, now, Jesus said again, leading Jesus to say, I'm going back to verse 31. Jesus said, and I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. These Pharisees and lawmakers had hardened their hearts against God's spirit and grace upon their lives. That's it. You know, we can have periods when in our faith we say, you know what, I just don't feel, I don't feel God. I feel kind of dry. I feel kind of empty. Then then, then kind of these doubts kind of creep in. Well, maybe God isn't real. Maybe God doesn't love me. That's all natural. That's not what he's talking about here when he talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that as believers. Mark 3, 28 and 29. I'm not going to read it, but it's, it's for your reference. Jesus warned the religious leaders of the same blasphemy. Listen, born again believers 
Those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord as the Lord and Savior should not be worried about committing this sin. It's not about you. I've had people say to me through the years, you know what, Pastor, I wonder. Oh, bless I wonder if I, I think maybe I've committed that sin. I said, by virtue of your worry that you're going to commit that sin is proof that you haven't committed that sin. Otherwise, it wouldn't bother you. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? You know, there's such a strong, strong argument for the fact that as we're speaking here, you know, listen to Jesus' promises. Once he has you, he has you, and your heart is open to him, and you receive him, He's got you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He never said that we're not going to move away from him. He never said that we'll never sin. He never said that we'll fall short of the mark. He never said that. He said, you will. You will sin. You will fall short of the mark. You'll even maybe, look at Peter, denied him. So did Peter commit that great uh, sin? He didn't. He didn't. Why do I say that? Was not he the one that said, my Lord and my God? Did not Matthew say, my Lord and my God? See, the heart, Jesus looks at the heart. And if, if a person just totally writes God off, like the Pharisees did, then they have something to worry about. Okay? Is this making any sense? All right, and we're just getting started. Isn't this exciting? All right, keeping, you know, one thing about all the behavioral sciences would agree that keeping promises are extremely important in maintaining and developing vital relationships. But listen to this. As believers, we can be assured that our salvation is secure. How? Because it is God's promise. This, this salvation I'm talking about was planted at the beginning of time in, in, in Genesis God's promise was fulfilled of salvation in Jesus Christ. And here is the real kicker here, is that God never breaks a promise. I can promise something to you. I can say, I promise. How many times have we broken our own promises to someone? I promise I'll be there, I'm not there, or whatever. But God never breaks a promise. Never, ever, ever. So we have that assurance that when we die, we're going to be, immediately, we're going to be launched into his presence. Our souls will be. Praise God. That's not my words, but it's Jesus' words. It's the words in the Bible. So praise God. We have a lot to be assured about. So, so this gets us into our, my first thought. And that was just the intro. I know. And the first one is Jesus' assurance. In John 14, 16 through 20, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. 
And now we're going to break this down and look at verses 16 and 18 right now. And Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus has so much concern for us that he would not leave us as orphans. I love that. With no one to care for us. That's verse 18. How about going back to verse 16? He assures not only the, his fearful disciples, but us here today as well, that he will ask the Father to what? To give us a helper or an advocate. Who is the helper? The advocate. It's the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Calls it the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Stop right there. The world cannot accept him because they neither sees him or they know him. That's getting into this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Their, their hearts are hardened. There's no way they're going to change. My mind's made up. My heart is made up. Forget it. Forget it. It's never going to happen. <coughs> All right. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Remember, the spirit of truth is only given to those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord. How many times have we talked about this? <coughs> many times. I've said, once you become a believer, what happened? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That is a given. That's natural. But the spirit is not given to those who neither sees nor knows him. That's it. I don't make the rules. But some people are going to be in heaven, and a boatload of people aren't. God is righteous. Now, you can say, whoa, that's another topic we'll get into. But we need to understand that. Jesus died for those, all of us, and, but those who receive him as Lord will be with him in heaven. Those who reject him will not be. Again, you know, don't yell at me. I don't make the rules. That comes right from the word of God. Verses 19 and 20. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. <coughs> On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus would pass through the anguish of the cross, be crucified and buried, then the, the risen Christ and his resurrection power would come upon them, opening their eyes, their minds, and hearts to their new relationship with him. The phrase, because I live, you also will live, is speaking of Jesus' completion, his complete work of salvation on our behalf. That is what he's saying. How many times can he say it? He says it in so many different ways, so we get it. We get it. He loves us. He saved us. We are his. We are his children. 
you know, wow, once we put that into perspective, we see just, you know, he's not going to deny us because he loves us so much. He died, he died for us. So we get that over and over again. Number two, assurance of forgiveness from Colossians 2, 13 and 14. How are we doing? Are we, we having a good time? Okay. You say, please, pass it. go on for three more hours. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins and canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, listen to this, nailing it to the cross. Can we learn from ancient history or whatever? So much. So much. That's another story, too, by the way. We can get into cancer culture, but I'm not going to go down that road. Not today. In the 15th century, listen to this. There was a monk. And this monk said to his congregation that at the early evening service in the cathedral that he was going to be preaching on the love of God. So all the people gathered and they waited for the service to begin. Then after the last glitter of light, you know, left the windows and faded from, from the windows, it was time for the service. The monk stood up, and he didn't, he didn't say one word, not one. But he walked over to the altar, and he took a candle off the altar. Without saying a word, he walked over to a life-size figure of Jesus on the cross. Said without saying a word, he held the light, the light of that candle Beneath Jesus' wounds, his feet. Then he moved that candle to Jesus' hands. And still without saying a word, then he let the, that light shine on Jesus' thorn-crowned brow. Without saying a word. That was it. That was his sermon. Not a word, no yelling, no screaming. Just that was it. And the people stood there in silence. And they were weeping. They were weeping. Because they knew they were looking at the love of God. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the image of God giving himself for us. Think about that. That's what this communion represents. The image of God giving it all for us. When he didn't have to, 
but he did out of love for us. He gave it all to us. You know, a love that runs so deep, a love that is so inclusive, a love that is so deep and wide, expanse, whatever words you want to use, a love so powerful, a love so personal, a love so complete that as human beings, our minds alone cannot grasp, cannot grasp the work that Jesus Christ had done on the cross. We cannot express that. Yes, we, we, we give it a shot, but our minds alone, we cannot wrap ourselves around what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Paul, I believe here, was conveying this as well, for he knew that the purpose, power, and sacrificial love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ was fully expressed on the cross, on our behalf. You know, when you, when you really follow Paul's work and his words, Jesus is number one. There's nothing, every, almost every verse, every paragraph, it's all about Christ. He was so into Jesus that he wants us to be so into Jesus. Because Paul knew, and he's trying to convey to his readers, that one day you will know just how important that truth is. We are living in a world today that needs to be so into Jesus. We're so clouded by the ways of the world, by the values of the world, that the world has lost. They don't understand. They have lost this idea in their minds of Jesus, who Jesus is. Time and time and time and time again. You know, for Paul, it was all about Christ. And sometimes we say, boring, that's all we hear is about Jesus. That's all there is. It's all about Christ. We are here because of him. And Jesus alone, not your good looks, certainly not my good looks. I lost my good looks a year ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was a knee slap for a little bit. Yes, right. Okay. Enough of that. Now I'm going to get to my third point before we have communion. That is eternal assurance from 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write the, the, these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Holy Spirit bears the testimony of God that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And this truth seals, confirms, and assures us that we are God's children. Amen? We are God's children. We need to say that over and over and over again. We need to remind ourselves of that because Satan will get in there and he'll try to wipe that away. In all of his ways, he will try to do that. We are his children, 100%. I have longed to, okay, 
now I'm going to make it personal here for me. I've probably been a Christian longer than most of you, probably all of you here. And I've lived long enough in the faith to see that my daily life, my daily life works a whole lot better when I put Jesus Christ at the center of my life. So if anything else, and some of you say, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I just want to say to you that if anything, for, for better or for worse, you can look at me, you know, wretched as I am, sinful as I am, that I've tried to live my life for Jesus Christ each and every day and sought him, but I, I failed, yes. But he's always there to pick me up. You know, he's always there to pick me up. You know, I was just thinking, regular Maria, a rabbit trail here, but I think it's appropriate. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my life, you know, as a person, individual, and I was thinking about some of the goofy things I've done in my life. Now, and even some of the, you know, as an adult, as a pastor. And I've always preached on the fact, well, don't let your guilt, you know, uh, hinder your faith. Don't let your guilt do that to you. Don't live off your guilt. And all of us tend to do that from time to time. But isn't this true? Isn't this true that no matter what we do, that's what I thought of, I identify with King David in so many ways. Not, well, i got to qualify that. Because King David was an adult, was adulterer. I've never been that. So forgive me for saying that. But you know what I'm saying. Now I'm getting myself all mixed up. But my thing about David, I liked about him was, look at how bad he was. He was a bad man. In so many ways, he was a bad man. He did bad things. Terrible. His domestic life was a mess. That guy was a hot mess with his domestic life. And yet, what did God say about David? That's right. Because David always had God at the center. And one example for us here, that no matter what we do, God will forgive us. When we turn to him and reach out to him, he's always there. He's always faithful to us. How do we close? The more you grow, make it personal, the more you grow in your faith, listen to this, and the more assured you will feel about yourself, your faith, and your salvation. And that means the more you will live your life to its fullest, warts and all. You see, this is God's intention for each and every one of us to live our life to its fullest with all the bad stuff that goes along with it. And he knows we're all bad, but we can live it to the fullest in him. Nothing is beyond him forgiving us. I say that nothing Christian is beyond. Salvation.
You see, salvation is the kicker. Salvation is one, it's the fuel, it's the jet, it's the booster that boosts everything else in our lives. How we live each, each and every day to the fullest, it all stems from salvation. You know, we say, oh boy, you know, God did this for me and that. Yes, praise God for that. But God knows that's all, that's all temporary stuff. Because one day he's going to say, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you, I'm calling you, I'm calling. He called Christy. He called Christy. Suddenly, you never know. I said, you never know. All he says is just to be ready. Be ready. And communion, I think, is a good reminder to help us to get ready to receive all they'd have for us. I love to hear your testimony. I love your witness. I, I love to hear um, my brothers and sisters talk about the Lord. 